Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1258 of the Lawton Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Monday morning. And today's podcast is going to be myself and Glenn Willis of Peachtree Hoops. Glenn's been joining me for a lot of podcasts recently, and shouts to Glenn for all the time. But our player capsule series is winding down. Today's podcast will be myself and Glenn talking about Clay Capella, and we are both fans of his and his impact overall. So it's sort of a deep dive on Capella, pros, cons, etc. A full scope on Capella, both present and future. Elsewhere on the podcast recently, we've had NBA draft coverage, wall-to-wall, and the draft is now a week and a half away. We've had Jake Rosen, we've had Ricky O'Donnell, we have Brian Schroeder come up later this week. So wall-to-wall coverage on the NBA draft, and please subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends, and check us out on Apple, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and of course our YouTube channel on the video side. Without further delay, we'll have the intro, and it'll be myself and Glenn talking about Click the Pillow. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. I am joined once again by my friend Glenn Willis to discuss another player on the Hawks roster. Interesting one today with Clint Capella. Welcome back, Glenn. And uh, we're recording this, by the way. Take you behind the curtain right after a memorable NBA Finals game. So Glenn and I are recording at like you know midnight Eastern. So he's fresh. I'm probably not, but here we are. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I'm three hours behind you, but we're probably about the same point. I was at a conference all week that <laughs> was like uh, never-ending socials. And I'm a very outgoing, sociable person, but man, four straight days of that, then flying home. Was, I, so I, I should be in better shape than you, but I'm afraid I might not be. <laughs> <laughs> no, I understand completely. And uh, we'll do what we do. I appreciate you coming on yet again to uh, talk about another player with me. I don't know when this is running, but in the near future, for sure. And we've gone through most of the roster at this point. Uh, this one is interesting in a lot of different ways. As I mentioned before, Clint Capella is a player that uh, I know I can, I think I think I can speak for you and you can correct me. I think you and I are probably higher on Clint than most people at this point. Uh, he got, I think the, uh, you know, mostly people understand that he's been really impactful, uh, particularly on defense, of course, and he led the entire world in rebounding two years ago and still is a elite rebounder. But also there's a lot of pushback. I'm sure you've seen a lot of it, like I have on Twitter about Clint in particular because of Congo's presence and Clint's weaknesses are, you know, pretty evident at times and uh, it, can, it can sort of overshadow things. So uh, and obviously there's the other factor, which we won't touch on a ton here of the contract extension, which, which he has not even started yet. In fact, it will not start till after next season. He still has three years remaining on his contract at this point in time, which throws an interesting wrinkle into things as well. But I say all of that, Glenn, to uh, sort of tee you up. But, I mean, where where are you at as a sort of sort of bodies with, with you on this podcast? Like, where are you at sort of mentally with Clint as we head into an offseason where uh, it, it could be that they move on from him at some point in time, but also he could still be around and be a productive player? Yeah, I think it's when you have a veteran player that's locked up, I think I think he's kind of right where you want him to be. You can keep him, and you're going to be in good shape. You're going to have a, a good, um, you know, one of the, easily, in my mind, one of the 10 best starting centers in the league, especially if you prioritize defense at the position, right? Uh, I don't want to sit here and do kind of a, a ranking exercise, but, you know, <laughs> someone wants to go, well, Glenn, it's probably top 12, whatever, right? But he's, you know, in my mind, in the upper third, easily – I can't imagine someone arguing that he's not in the upper half of uh, the kind of the best starting uh, centers in the league. So if you keep him on, on the contract with the extension, I think you're you're in good shape, right? If you feel like you need to move him, I think he there's a ton of uh, need at the center position around the league. Teams that are trying to improve on defense, teams 
that like the Hawks were, you know, basically about a year and a half ago when they made the move to get him needing some way to kind of establish um, some defensive foundation and a team, I think that might be willing to, to kind of make a move for him. If that's the route the Hawks decide to go, there's going to be plenty of demand for him. So, you know, I, it seems like there's so much uh, upheaval uh, uh, among Hawks fans about him. And I don't get it because I think this, I think this is kind of right where you want to be. He's um, I don't know if he's ever going to make an all defensive team. Again, the Hawks would have to be better, uh, as a whole on defense for him to kind of land uh, at that level of consideration. But that really shouldn't matter, I think, in, in terms of how we're looking at him. But just like you mentioned, he's one of the three or four best rebounders in the league, in my mind. Uh, he's one of the you know best six, seven, eight kind of drop centers uh, in the league. And he has some ability to get up to the level of the screen and do some workout too and, and recover. He's... Um, a terrific rim runner. He works hard, as hard as anybody as a screener, uh, which is super helpful to trade. So, you know, what he brings, I think, is, is really, really valuable. But, you know, people who have a, in my mind, a coherent <laughs> idea about moving on from him because they feel like, well, a Kongu needs the the playing time and needs, you know, the opportunity to kind of step up his role and deliver on the value of a sixth overall pick and things like that. I, I think there's a reasonable conversation about how about what's the right thing to do there. But but uh, and the most important thing to me is he's, he's right where you'd want someone right here. Keep him, you're good. Trade him, you're going to be in good shape kind of getting value for him. And I think that's a great position to be uh, with him right now for the team. Definitely. I mean, we talked about with the Kongwu, which, of course, we recorded pretty recently about how just how good they really are at center overall. When you factor in 48 minutes on a lot of nights with those two guys only, that's, that's a pretty good spot to be in on both ends of the floor, really, but especially on defense. And to sort of touch on the overall with Clint, we'll definitely get into offense and defense separately and also probably together along the way. But um, this isn't everything. Um, you and I in particular are not, like, married to these kind of numbers, but I pulled a couple of the uh, of the more advanced sort of all-in-one metrics that I, that I trust the most. Um, and they both had Capella as, like, a top 55 or 60 player in the league even last year. There is this very overarching um, – I, I, I hate the word narrative, but that's what's coming to my mind right now, that Clint had this terrible season or this really down year last year. And yes, he got off to a slow start. I think we would acknowledge that. He was not healthy coming out of training camp, didn't really do a lot in the offseason, and wasn't great for the first couple months of the season. That, that's definitely fair to say. But even with all of that, he was in the top 55 in the league in overall EPM and overall 538's uh, Raptor model this year. That's this year. Two years ago, he was even better than that. I mean, we, this is not a two years ago podcast, but uh, I mean, he was probably a top 35 or 40 player in the league two years ago. That's how good he was. And uh, obviously Trey is the number one reason, but he was a huge part of why they made the run that they made two years ago. And uh, I think it, this year we talked about it a lot at the time, both in this format and other formats, like when he kind of arrived back to being his old self, they were a lot better. And in the second half of the season, he played um, – he, he actually shot the ball well again. Obviously, shooting is relative for him. It's him just finishing around the rail. There's no real, no real shooting from Clint. But he was efficient. His defense was all over the place. And he just turned 28 years old. He's sort of an old 28. He got drafted in 2014. He's been around and played a lot of minutes. But he's not old either. Like, he's not, this is not a guy who is in his early 30s. By the end of the contract, he'll be in his early 30s. But right now, he just turned 28 
it'll be his age 28 season next year. So he's not over the hill by any means. And again, he's got some weaknesses, he's got some strengths, but uh, there is really a lot to like with clip. But I mean, not, we, I didn't really spot you beforehand. What do you make of just the overall? And obviously, it's not what we're going to do on this podcast overall here, but like just the notion that Clint was a top 60 player in the league last year. I, I think that's, it seems reasonable to me, even with the acknowledgement that he had kind of a rough start. Once he found himself, he was kind of the, the guy he was two years ago. Yeah, agreed. That that feels like about the right range to me, uh, considering the whole season. Um, you know, the the prior season he was probably the top forty. You know, I I, I don't know where exactly we'd put him. You know, I mean, in, in a real in a in a normal season two years ago, I mean, you mentioned all, all defense teams earlier on, on the conversation. I mean, he very credibly received a few like some all defense and defensive player of the year votes two years ago. And like, he, he was never going to win it. Rudy Gobert exists. And I, I get that. He's not better than Rudy Gobert. I, I understand that. But like, he really was in my mind, a top, I don't know, six or seven defender in the league two years Agreed. ago. That's how good yep. he was. Um, especially when you factor rebounding, because that, that does matter to you, you have to close possessions. And he was, I believe, yeah, I, I pulled this earlier. He actually led the entire NBA in all three rebounding categories two years ago, offense, defense, and total. And that's that's hard to do, just, just for the record. No. Anyway, he's really good. Yeah, uh, he helps himself with the offensive rebounds with his tip, tip, He does, tip, that's you know? fair. The, the, <laughs> if, you, if you're on my age, you call it the Moses Malone, or, or I'm sure there's yes. others. But um, but yeah, I mean, top 60 feels about right. I, and and um, I, I feel like it's, it's hard for the casual fan or a fan that's not interested in really getting into the details to understand how well he organizes them on defense, how well he anchors on defense, how he kind of, when they're struggling defensively, he can kind of reconstitute them uh, and things like that. Um, how well he plays without fouling you know, long stretches. Um, and then, you know, as the season went along, you know, Nate was playing him at times 10, 11 straight minutes, which a lot, not a lot of centers can do that. Right. Most, a lot of centers are, about seven minutes, maybe eight minutes, and then they sit and get a break and get back out for another seven or eight minutes. Um, but to check, to try to make some pairing work with Gallo and JC and the Kongwu, he would, you know, Nate would sometimes play Clint for long stretches. And I think that as hard as Clint runs and as much as he moves, um, he, he covers a lot of ground in the, in the half court of offense because he works so hard as a screener. He's in so many pick and roll. He's diving to the rim with force. Uh, and so he just exerts a lot of energy. And so to be able to kind of to play that long um, for stretches when they need that uh, is, is critical. So, you know, the Hawks don't have the strongest rebounding team apart from him. So that's a critical kind of thing to kind of factor in, um, you know, and, and he just kind of owns the defensive glass, you know, kind of single-handedly uh, when, when he's in there. I mean, fans who get really frustrated after a loss, well, think about the three, you know, bunnies he missed in the game and, yep. and, and, and be really frustrated with like, such so feels like a three point loss or something like that. And that's just, you know, Clint is never going to have even average hands. It's never going to happen. That's always going to be a part of kind of what he brings uh, to the floor. He's improved. I mean, you know, since he was 24, 25 or whatever, um, but he's still never going to get the average. It's, it, he's, he'll make a, a uh, a surprising pass to a corner now and then without kind of, and, and get it generally on target, things like that. Um, but again, the value of what he brings on both ends of the court really is what he does about the ball in his hands. And I know I've said this so many times, but one of the kind of the brilliant aspects of Travis going out and getting him was that, I mean, who has at that point in time when they acquired him had run more pick and rolls with an elite pick and roll lead, you know, lead guard 
at that point in time, he'd run so many, he had so many reps with Harden and Houston, and and the Hawks were able to just drop him right in next to Trey. And that has been a massive part of Trey getting to where he is, being you know one of the truly elite offensive players in the league. So you know when I, I know that if you want to go look at certain stats offensively, um, you know his finishing at the rim, considering his size and considering the easy easy shots at the rim Trey creates for him, it, you could certainly poke at that and say, oh, I wish he was better. I, sure, right. But when you consider all the other things that he brings, I think top 60 is a, a solid way to kind of look at him. Um, and and then, you know, when you think about his unique defensive value as a guy who can drop all day long and kind of do it basically as well as almost anyone that's not Rudy in the league in my mind, right? Um, I mean, when Giannis plays center, he's – I mean, Giannis is so athletic, so that's he's kind <laughs> of an outlier, you know, and stuff like that. But then he's not married to the drop, right? He can – he can um, hedge and even trap sometimes and he can, uh, you know, he executes the red scheme when they're switching one through four by calling all the switches and those switches so confidently. I mean, and so just there's, there's so much that doesn't necessarily jump out at someone who, unless they're interested in the real kind of nuanced areas of the game, especially at the center position that, that I feel like it's over missed. And that's why I find myself frustrated. Uh, with the conversation about him sometimes brings absolutely a ton of value in areas that don't always jump out at everyone. Today's show is brought to you by Truebill and free trials offer new without your consent. If you didn't know that, it's because it's actually a business game that's out to get you. Do not let corporations pocket your money out of their own greed. Instead, download Truebill and take control of all your subscriptions at this point in time. And Truebill is a new app. Helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions that you don't want, don't need, or even forgot about entirely. And on average, people save up to 720 hours a year using Truebill. It makes things incredibly simple when it comes to canceling subscriptions. And that's important because companies make it very hard to cancel on purpose. And that's really deliberate on their end. Just look your accounts together. Truebill will cancel all those unwanted subscriptions in just one tap. And as someone who manages a ton of subscriptions across the sports world and all the stuff that I actually have to keep up with, I can tell you Truebill is absolutely awesome and I highly recommend it. Truebill has 2 million users and Truebill has helped people save more than $100 million at this point in time. Do not fall for the scams of subscription services. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. Go right now to Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. It could save you up thousands of dollars each year. One more time, that is Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. Oh, I want to dive into the offense first just because like – you know, we all know he's good on defense. There's there's degrees of that. We'll get into we'll get into that for sure. But we we sort of talked over it um, a minute ago. But um, generally speaking, Clint is still an effective offensive player. I I know that there is frustration with his finishing in his hands, and those are realistic frustrations. Um, you mentioned it earlier, like that does kind of stick out to people, and I I totally get why. And you know, I know that I am far less emotional about these things than uh, than a lot of fans are because that's just my, that's my job, and I have to be. I just you know, I watch too much basketball to be that way. But I mean, it is fair to say, like in his last four years in Houston, he shot sixty five ish percent from the field, and the two years in Atlanta, it's about sixty percent from the field, which is still a good number. But when you're only taking layups and dunks, it's not a, it's not a fantastic number. It's fine. Um, I will say uh, um, it was night and day, first half, second half last year as a point, uh, just because I pulled this stat. He shot 67% from the floor from MLK day on. Basically, when the Hawks started to be good uh, last season, uh, if you draw a line in the sand, like that's basically the halfway point of last season. He was uh, he was 
excellent in terms of his finishing around the rim percentage wise. Again, it's not always aesthetically pleasing. We all know this about Clint. Um, the, the hands are what they are. And uh, I will note that he actually had a six year low at the free throw line last year, which even adds to the frustration. He shot 47% from the line. He's never been good, but he kind of found something where he was shooting in like the mid fifties before. And uh, that's different than 47%. So that is, that is notable. I'm not sure if it's a confidence thing or what, but also he took less. I wonder if he had a little bit of a gun shyness that I think we kind of noticed at times. He didn't want to get fouled and he never wants to get fouled. I'm sure. Cause he's not a great free throw shooter, but it's, it was even worse at times last year, but you, you mentioned the screening. He's so effective there. The offensive rebounding is hugely valuable. And as a dive threat, uh, you know, I know they have Collins as well. They have a Conway as well, but Clint is still quite effective. Just the gravity of it. I know he's not the most, again, aesthetically pleasing. He's not going to do crazy stuff with the ball. Um, I know I'm listing a lot of things here, but I'm gonna, one more thing, one more thing before I forget it. He had a career best turnover rate last year, 6% turnover rate. That is like minuscule that's that's a that's a very very good number i know he's not handling the ball a lot but he does not turn the ball over ever which does matter that does boost your efficiency and his assist rate was way up as well so like his he's never going to be like draymond as a uh, as a short roll guy but he can pass a little bit better than he used to doesn't turn the ball over and yeah he's not a high usage guy by any means but there are positives we can get into the negatives as well but i wanted to throw some stats out there just because like i think he gets a generally bad rap on offense even if i understand it yeah, agreed. And, you know, it's one of those things, too. Like we said this before, I think when we were talking about Bogey, but it'd be nice to to give Trace and Truth Serum and get him to kind of talk about how much Clint kind of helps him, you know. And I, I've even, I could think back to some video breakdowns I've done over the last, you know, you know, couple of years or the two seasons Clint's, you know, played here. And um, where, He'll Clint will do things that very few other big men know how to do. So, and I'll just kind of give one example. So let's say Trey is trying to go uh, to his right and use a, a screen from Clint and the defense doesn't let him get right. Right. Clint will flip and then Trey will give him the ball and Clint will just give the ball right back and kind of get back into that screening situation. So, um, you know, a lot of big men will say, I'm going to get to a DHO and let Trey come get the ball, which would still allow the defense to push Trey in a specific uh, position. But what, what Clint looks for is a chance to give it back while Trey still has separation, and then Trey can decide which direction he wants to go. That's an example of the nuance that Clint brings all the time, but I feel like not everyone kind of, kind of notices, right, is that he knows, and I think this is largely because he did this so many times with Harden, and Harden is a player that will give all of his teammates feedback on how they're helping him or not helping him for good and bad. Almost always positive, I would assume. It's, you know, teams have to be able to kind of talk honestly with each other. Um, but all of that stuff that Clint brings, you know, Kongu is not ready to do that stuff yet, even though Kongu for his um, ex- experience levels is, is doing quite well. And even, But even JC is going to be uh, not nearly as nuanced as a screener uh, in that area, JC can kind of dive with the same effectiveness as Clint. But when it comes to helping Trey get what he wants when the defense denies it once or twice and he still has a way to reposition himself and manage his distance with Trey to get Trey the ball back where he wants to get it, that stuff is absolutely massive for Trey. And if you look at the season Trey had, like I, to me, I can't separate it much from the impact that Clint helps him with all the nuance he brings as a partner, uh, partner for Trey. And for that reason, that's why I'm like, you know, uh, we've talked about, you know, people wanting, some people may be wanting to see JC traded. I'm like, be careful what you ask for. <laughs> yeah. Similar conversation with Bogey. It's the same way with Clint is, 
is I feel like Trey would have a harder time on offense um, without Clint, you know, this next season that he would with them. Does it mean that there are scenarios where there would make some sense to make, uh, go ahead and make a move? It doesn't mean that. I'm just yeah. like, just do that with I do it with eyes wide open, appreciating all the value he brings on that end. And and he for sure like the last five weeks of the season was really uh, I, I you know we watched we just watched uh, you know the Warriors you know you know pull two to two and Draymond would not do anything at the rim. No. And I felt like that reminded me of like kind of how Clint's last five or six weeks yeah. in the season look, you know. So that was, you know, that's there. That's something, and you know, for sure. And I, I understand there's there's kind of frustration with that. Um, and, but, I mean, the way he helps his teammates on offense, it's not just Trey. Bogey knows how to use him, too, and things like that. Is I feel like it's really undervalued and, and, and needs to be, uh, I think, fully appreciated. Yeah, there, there's, there is real nuance with Capella on offense in particular, just because, like, for example – if you go at, I'm looking at cleaning the glass right now. If you go only on rim attempts, which is basically what Clint does, like occasionally he'll take like, you know, those five, six footers that classify as the short mid, but like the really, what he does most of the time is rim attempts. And he's a little bit below average at 67%. That's a good number in terms of field goal percentage, but at the rim, that's not a great number. It's not terrible. It's not a great number, but because that's all he does, he is above average efficiency wise overall by every metric in terms of shooting like effective field goal percentage even true shooting with his bad free throw shooting he's still above average at true shooting and it's because he knows what he can and can't do and now obviously there are some of those uh you know once or twice a game who have those ugly post-ups and he just like you know it's, it's it's one of those like reward the big man kind of things where you're, you have to be okay with it every once in a while but it's just an interesting like there's a lot of dichotomy stuff in these numbers but what you said earlier st- stands out to me because when the, and we have to go way back now but when they when they traded for clint while he was injured, by the way, they did it for, and really in my mind, these like three pronged reasons and prong one was to help the defense, obviously, which he did. I mean, he's, he's, he's anchored the defense for two seasons. And I know it hasn't been great, but when he plays, they're always better. And the numbers are okay when he plays and they're not when he doesn't generally. Um, then you have what you talk about all the time. And I think you're hundred percent right. Just having someone that knows how to run pick and roll with Trey, that was a huge investment. And then also just like give them competence at center. I think people, kind of don't remember the times when they had really bad center play, but that season before they got Clint was not a lot of fun in a lot of ways. And I'm not picking on anybody individually, but there was some real, really rough center play that season. And just to have that competence goes a long way. Now, that doesn't mean Capella's a perfect player. He's not, especially, you know, he has weaknesses and you can sort of talk about what a Kongu does versus Clint. We talked about a little bit on the Kongu podcast, but you can both acknowledge it might be time to do something else at some point if, if an opportunity arises and you can also value what Clint has brought even amid the frustration. So it's a really, um, he's very interesting to talk about, especially, you know, you and I watch every possession basically. And if you don't and you, and it's almost like it stands out to you more what he can and can't do because listen, he doesn't, he's never going to give you anything beyond what he gives you now on offense. Like he just, he is what he is. And there are a lot of strengths to that, but also, and we've discussed it a ton, but it's worth remembering we spent, we spent like six months basically on the Collins Capella pairing. And like, I get it. Like front front of the podcast, Tower Jones has talked about this with me on and offline. Like at a certain point, you don't want to have to build around Clint and he does limit you in some ways. Like you have to think about who you're pairing with him as well. Like 
famously Ben Simmons has been a hypothetical topic for a long time. And it's like my stock response is like, he can't play with Clint. And it's true that he can't play right. with Clint probably, but also right. do you want to, do, uh, there, there is an idea and I, and I totally get this. Like you don't want to have to worry about Clint long-term. And I do get that too. So there's, as with any player, there's a give and take. And we're going to get into to the defense obviously in a minute, because that's really where he brings even more value. But I, I just think that, I'm not saying anything particularly revelatory here, but it's just such an interesting conversation because he's not, he's not a bum on offense. Like I think he's generally underrated on offense, but also he just looks like he looks, you know, it's just, I don't know. I'm not sure what I'm I'm saying. It's just like, it's hard to get any more appreciation for him than he already has. Like if you have, if you made, if you made your mind up on click Capella's offense, like I'm not going to change your mind probably, which I understand. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, it's all it all makes sense. And it's all relevant to me, and you know, a couple of things to respond to there. One is like, you know, he's never going to have better hands than he is right now. One small <laughs> one small thing he might be able to do at this point to prove his finishing, which he did some this past. I mean, it was in small stretches, but he probably needs to when he has a chance to be a two-handed finisher now. Or when he was younger, yeah. he was more. It was it had more accurate with one hand, but for stop and gather, let the defender jump and go up. I mean, no one should be able to block him when he has two. And there were times when he would catch gather if the if the lob was a little off or you know a rebound or whatever, fully you know kind of reload and things like that. And you know the foot injuries and the knee injury has probably taken just enough of his verticality that he might. Do oh yeah. That. So if that's something he's adapting to, that might help him be a marginally better finisher. Um, the other thing I want to take a minute and kind of focus on offensively to give Travis Link really some credit for how he prepared Trey to be able on Trey's side to be able to work with a, a partner like Clint too is and this is and I, I don't you, neither one of us think Travis has a perfect track record with all his moves. Uh, I, you know I don't think we ever understood the Jeremy Lin trade in terms of what they gave up and not getting more out of that, it. That's, and then, a, that's, you know, a, that's an underrated one. My, uh, that, that's, that's one that people always forget. <laughs> and I, that, right. I'll never forget that. That trade made no sense at all. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, but but the thing, I, the, the kind of the path that Travis took here, which to me is shows a lot of foresight and understanding, okay, if it's Travis thinking, if we go back kind of three or four years in this process or whatever, like what kind of partner do we need to put with Travis? Could we need someone who can run, rim run, who has speed, who can dive with force to the rim, et cetera. I know people thought, like, when you sent out Dwight Howard and brought back Miles Plumley, <laughs> you know, like, how does, you know, how does, you know, how does Plumley kind of ever kind of mix it all? Plumley, I don't think people understand how fast he was, right? How athletic he was, uh, you know, and things like that. And just putting that into the mix, you know, at all there, right? And then Damian Jones, too, like a, you know, yawn kind of transaction. But the, a certain number of reps that Trey got with a fast athletic center that can get from the point of the screen to the rim quickly, neither Mason, no, neither Plumley nor Damian were going to be like in the you know picture once the Hawks kind of hit on the roster they felt good about. But and you know, but Travis found a couple guys that Trey could get those reps with, like fast moving bigs, athletic bigs that can dive with force and, and dive with quickness. And that you know, to me, that's that shows someone who is thinking through the steps that one has to take to kind of get a roster to where they need it and to give Trey some exposure to that, even if it's not anyone who's going to kind of stick around. So, you know, just, I, I think there's some appreciate room for some appreciation how kind of careful um, Travis has been about trying to put pieces 
around Trey um, that that would help. Like Vince was, I, th- I felt was kind of in that category, you know, category as well. Just a real nuanced pick and pop guy that can, you know, you know, handle the ball and stuff like that. But I mean, people might be laughing, like, but no, like uh, Damian Jones and and then Mason Plumley you know, just in the mix around the team and all that sort of stuff gave Trey some reps that, that you know for a low cost that they would have got elsewhere, and Trey wouldn't have been ready to kind of capitalize on what. Uh, Clint bought if they'd never had a fast big man, a rim running big man, a guy who would die with force like that um, until Clint. And so I just think it's an important kind of perspective that the table was kind of set for Clint in a, in a smart uh, way um, when Clint got here as well. Now, Clint is, in my mind, you know, towards the top of the league and big men that know how to help their, their, their guard and the pick and roll. We've, we've talked about that, but there's a, a lot of, a lot that has gone into getting the Trey Clint pairing to kind of be what it is today. And I, I'm, I'm not anxious to see them move on from it unless, you know, uh, there's just a wonderful opportunity to get, to get unique value. Today's show was brought to you by Bet Online and the NBA finals are rolling along right now. Things are getting very interesting, very interesting between the Celtics and the Warriors, but as a backdrop, our partners have been online, have the number one source for all the sports betting needs that you have and your information that you're seeking this year. Find all the latest odds, news, and developments across the sports world, including the entire NBA playoffs, MLB scores and odds, latest fight stuff, as well as future bets. That includes the NFL, college football, college basketball, even NBA for next season, baseball, all that fun stuff is available right now at Bet Online. Bet Online is continuing sports ball wager information across the board. That includes live betting and esports and poker and a ton of casino games across the board as well. And beyond that, Bet Online has other sports covered that includes hockey and golf and tennis auto racing horse racing soccer cricket they have entertainment bets and all the sports you can possibly think of table tennis all of that stuff's in the mix at bet online head there right now at bet online on your computer mobile device to learn more about all the trends and the action in the sports world bet online where the game starts this is sort of a bridge between offense and defense but you mentioned his speed a few times and i think that um you know that's underrated thing still i think with clint he's not the same bursty guy that he was when he was 22 he's not because you mentioned the leg injuries and all that stuff, just the Achilles and all that. And he's, he's a little bit, he's a little bit bigger than he used to be, but like in a straight line, he's still a really good athlete as a center. He's not, um, he's not nuclear athlete anymore, but like, I, I think he's probably undervalued as an athlete in general, especially in terms of going, like you said, like, you know, from touch or from touchdown or just a straight rim roller to the rim from the three point line down. Like he can still move um, in a straight line in a big way. And it doesn't mean he's flying around. Like, like obviously a Kong was a lot, more like you know, quick or how do you want to say that more rangy than Capella is at this point in time? But Akongwu was like 99th percentile in terms of doing that as a center, so you can't really compare those two. I think if you compare Clint to an average NBA center, he's still an above average athlete. That's pretty clear to me. Um, and I, I feel like that sort of transition in, in a defense as well because you know, he wasn't in terms of the overall season, the numbers and all this stuff, he wasn't quite as good as he was two years ago, but that was an unfair comparison. That was, that was pr- perhaps his career year. That's how good he was. We won't litigate that all again, but again, he was clearly like an uber elite defender two years ago. And I think again, this year he was quite good. I mean, I think um, there's a lot of this gets boiled down. I'm sure, I'm sure this drives you crazy. There's this, um, a lot of it gets boiled down from like, can a guy switch you know what I'm talking about? Like the a, a lot of times when, when it's discussed, it's like especially with Clint versus Onyeka, it's like, well, one's the switchy guy, and the other and the other guy just has to be a drop big or whatever it is. It's always very simplified, and I get that. I'm not a scheme expert either, but I think it is worth noting that Clint probably can't switch a ton. 
But you're, you still have a team with Trey Young, so you're going to be playing a lot of drop anyway. The Hawks are never going to be a full-on switch one through five team as long as Trey is here. That's pretty clear. Um, can you do a little bit more scheme-wise in terms of flying around with Onyeka? Maybe down the line. But, like, you know, there's a reason why they're maybe it shouldn't really go better. Like, you got to have to play a lot of traditional defense with Trey Young. That's just part of the part of the fun. And Clint's still really, really good at that. Uh, I want you to talk about because you're way better at the stuff than I am about what he can do scheme wise defensively, because I think it just gets boiled down. Like, like, like I said, a lot to like, Oh, he's just a drop big. And he does that really well, but what, what can he still do? What is he good at? What is he not good at defensively at this point in time limitations? Like what's sort of the overall picture in your mind? Because uh, beyond like the, the obvious tenets of like awesome rebounder, good rim protector, like what, what else is there in your mind? defensively? Yeah, I mean, I think his ability to recover when he gets dragged away from the rim when he's defending a, a Jokic is the you know kind of the most obvious example there. There are others, right? A Brook Lopez that's you know operating yeah. five feet higher than the three point line, you <laughs> know, twenty nine footers, so. <laughs> yeah. right? And things like that. His ability to kind of cover ground and get back to the rim even when he's dragged out there is pretty elite. You know, there aren't many guys that can can do that the way he can. And, and the way he stays oriented, a lot of big guys, when they're moving that fast and recovering that much space, will kind of lose their spatial awareness, if you will, and lose track of where the ball is, where the shooter is. Where and he is incredible, in my mind, at kind of maintaining all of that. If, if sometimes it's even just him just focusing on, okay, where's the ball, where's the release point, and just measuring that down and tracking it down, that's phenomenal. And especially, like you said, when – He's on the floor with Trey when they're, um, you know, sacrificing so much in some matchup that's there. His ability to recover a, a kind of pull a play out of the defensive position out of the ditch, if you will, um, is important. And it's it's quite good. He's probably, you know, I was just guessing like top five in the league in terms of ability to recover back to the rim, make a play at the rim, and, and kind of get that block. So, so that's there. We've talked a little bit about the organizational kind of skills he has, yeah. the communication skills. He's, I mean, just as solid as it gets in those areas. Um, and then, and like I said, I, you know, I don't think the Hawks want to really ever get to a point where they're switching one through five. They, they, they may want to do it with some lineups, right? If they shift towards more Kongu minutes, which they, we've talked about, we've talked about in that episode that they need he needs more t- time on the floor, right? Definitely, and things like that. But but I don't think that's going to be kind of a a core part of what they do, you know, kind of really regularly. Um, and, and, you know, this started with LP, but, you know, LP loved to run the quote red scheme, which is mostly a one through four switching, but it's not automatic switching. It's where the big is typically about one step below the free throw line, calling, seeing the angle a defender has, how effective the screen is going to be, how much separation you can anticipate. There's a lot of, processing that has to go on for the big man to call out every single play oh, and when they're running that red scheme and clint is excellent at that right he he um he had he had really good coaching staffs in houston which yeah. helped him with that i mean i know like even going back as far as like kevin McHale, you know kind of you know he's kind of picked on as you know a coach that couldn't uh do a ton you know in the league but he was the awesome defensive coach he had awesome defensive coaching staff when he was there well and, 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 it, and also imagine being like a 20 year old big and your head coach is kevin McHale. it's exactly. not the worst thing in the world you know what i mean <laughs> for, for, for sure you talk about angles and footwork and yeah. leverage and i mean all that sort of stuff and, and to his credit by all appearances he kind of soaked it all up so he sees everything 
he communicates everything, he calls everything, he always knows what defense they're in. They can switch uh, kind of defensive schemes if they need to based upon the opposing team substitution on the fly without having to call a timeout and Clint gets them organized. And that is you know, so important, it's like, and to keep going back to this, especially when you're kind of tracking, okay, who's on the court that Trey's messed up with now? How do we want to handle that? How do we want to deal with that? Oh, they made a substitution. Now Trey's messed up changed. So we want to change a little bit of what we're doing on defense. And for Clint to be able to handle all of that all the time, at all times, without timeouts, is just is critical. And, and in my mind, that's probably the area where he sets the bar high enough. And I'm like, oh, man, is Anyeka – how close is he – to be able to do that, I don't, I don't know. Which is even, think... and we said, we said on the podcast, but just to back you up, that's not about, it's not about Onyeka being some shortcoming of his. No, it's because Clint's so good at it. It's right. not, it's not a situation. Where, and I people think, I think people probably listen about us, but like, it's not even us doubting a Kongwu. It's that Capella is We're high on <laughs> really good, like really, yeah. really, really good. I mean, the way that I put it, and I'll go, I'll put it back to you. Like I said it a lot this way, but like just the amount of stuff they put on Clint both personnel-wise around him, because that's not a secret. The Hawks have not had the greatest defensive personnel in the last couple seasons. But scheme-wise, calling everything out, captaining, and just like cleaning up messes, I mean, they've built the entire ship around him defensively on purpose. But, you know, he's – I mean, I, I understand there's this dichotomy where like, yeah, the Hawks were really bad defensively this year. But if you look at the numbers, they were credible when Clint played on, on, on the on-off. The on yeah. And like – that's not a, that, and it was even more stark two years ago. Like that's not a secret, and it's because they've built the whole thing around him. And like he, I mean, it's other than Gobert, I have a hard time thinking. Maybe maybe certain like Sixers lines wouldn't be, but like other than those guys, like no team puts as much on them as the Hawks have put on Clay the last two years. And I, part of that's Trey, part of that's just like overall like not having great personnel. But like it, it has to be said, like if they had had an average defensive center the last two seasons. I know they were not great anyway. They would have been like, you know, worse than the league bad at times. I mean, that's that's really how that's really how it would have hap- had to happen. We, we've seen them on offs. We've seen it when, when he wasn't playing, when he was hurt, or even when he wasn't himself. I mean, I, I go back to November of last year when he was not himself very clearly, and they had no answers. And as soon as you get him back to being him, there's a reason they went 26 and 14 down the stretch. It wasn't only Clint. Don't get me wrong. But like right. you have to defend at a certain level to win at that clip. And he not almost, I almost say single-handedly, it's not quite there, but like he does the most by far defensively on the roster. And that's not, a, that's not like a coincidence. Yeah. And, and to kind of you know, cruise around the league a little bit and kind of take examples of, of the contrasting examples in, in some ways. I mean, I thought the Suns would be, uh, I, I guess the, I thought the Suns would be Dallas, right? And, um, and, and for, for me, like the thing that really held the Suns back was Aiden, now Aiden's a good young center and he has a lot going for him, but when it came time to try to get really nuanced around how they wanted to try to defend Luca, Aiden's ability limitation, not, not being to like a, a quit level processing information, being able to handle a lot of nuance in angles, communication, et cetera. The Suns struggled, and they struggled so much that Monty threw Biombo out there for lo- longer stretches. And you know, and the, and Monty was like, "Well, I got to sacrifice on offense when Biombo's out there." But you know, if you if, all the Hawks fans are like, "Let's go get eight, and it's like, 
I don't think you understand the drop off in the area of defensive organization and anchoring and, you know, and all that sort of stuff that you're missing. And then you know, just in the finals right now, looking at Al Horford, familiar to all Hawks fans, not the, not the vertical athlete that some guy, but he keeps him organized all the time. And the Warriors are having to work so hard on offense, everything that they do. And, and certainly Grant Williams is helping there as well. And Robert Williams, his ability to fly around, even with the bad knee, but Al is the one who, manages their defensive game plan basically the whole game. You'll see him doing it when even when he's on the bench, you know, kind of keeping them organized and stuff like that. And so that's it's it's just, you know, a few a few kind of examples there where Aiden killed the Suns the deeper they got into the postseason with his inability to be more nuanced as a defensive anchor killed them. And it's probably the main reason that the Suns are as open as they seem to be to move on and to kind of make a change at that position despite him being a number one overall pick is because he killed them in that area of play and and, and I think that's the and I don't want to put like an unfair amount of blame but Monty could not get the, the back line of the defense to where he needed to be to handle Luca and Luca's a massive challenge no doubt about that yeah. but you know a guy like Clint or someone like that who has all of that all of those uh kind of soft skills, you might say, um, on the court would have made a, a huge, huge difference there. And, and that's just something I, I hope Hawks fans can kind of appreciate. I, you know, I, I think Anyaka shows excellent processing for, for where he is and things like that. I, I think he's going to be really, really good in that area too. But, man, Clint is, Clint is uh, unique at, at how good he is in all of that. And and a part of that is just how invested he is. Like he wants to be the organizer. He wants to be the defensive leader. Oh, he likes he wants to be the yeah. communicator. And you can even tell when he talks post game, like he's the one who will speak to, you know, in his low raspy voice, it's impossible to transcribe if you just have the honor <laughs> the interview, you know, but uh, he, you, you can kind of, you kind of know he's hitting on the real issues in the way that he can. And that's, yeah, that's, that's massive uh, to me. Yeah. And I mean, just, yeah, I was gonna say he's he along with I think Bogey are the guys who are like we'll just say the thing in public. I'm I'm not sure if that you know that doesn't always mean anything. It's just like if you want. I mean I, I think I think her does the same thing, Collins too. But like in terms of like your vets who will especially after a loss will just be like we're not very good at X. Like it's it's really been Bogey and Clint a lot that have said just come out and said things that have to be said, and that's that's interesting on and off the floor. He's definitely a leader for them. And again, he's not the oldest guy in the world. Like you would think he's in his mid thirties. What we're talking about, I mean, he just turned 28 years old. Um, I, I know this probably feels like a, like a Capella love fest in a lot of ways. And it probably is <laughs> from us. Like you and I, you and I like Clint a lot. Um, but we, again, we, we've acknowledged both sides of, especially on offense. And um, I do wonder as we sort of look forward a little bit here, um, is there anything uh, let's assume just for this conversation that Clint is still the guy next year, still on the team, et cetera, starting center, is there anything that you worry about like slipping with him? Like for instance, he's not a seven footer. Like Capella's bigger than a Kongwu, but he's not your traditional seven one center. He's probably six nine, maybe six ten. Like he was he was seen as under as funny as it says, he was seen as undersized when he was drafted as a center. Um now Kongwu is actually undersized. But uh yeah. do you worry at all about him aging? Like in terms of like, you know, what happens if he's ten percent? worse next year like is there a line where you would start to worry particularly because of the contract but even beyond that like just for next season on the court do you have any concern about him slipping because it felt like that might be happening early last season and then he kind of found it again so it wasn't quite as much of a concern 
Yeah, I, I think you have to be. I, I, you know, the, in the the normal uh, kind of pattern, I guess you'd see is, you know, and you already and you mentioned it. You already saw some of this year. He wasn't as good like closing out when an opposing team was playing five out, right? Yeah. Um, he wasn't as precise. He wasn't um, uh, kind of as forceful uh, in in that area. Um, and then just kind of navigating further away from the rim, not just kind of getting to someone, but you know dealing with a move, a secondary move, and the, you know, it kind of, um, uh, you know, anyone who has any kind of kind of dynamic ability to kind of probe the defender, he wasn't as good this year as last year. And, and we all know the Hawks defend their defensive statistically, they weren't as good defensively. And I, I it, you know, Clint's not even close to the first thing I want to kind of put up there, but there were a few areas this season where he wasn't as good, you know, definitely quick turn, quick turnaround from the previous season, the injuries and things like that uh, and stuff. And the, and the part of it is the more the league moves to the more, the more like um, a greater number of teams in the league are kind of building a roster to give themselves the option to play five out. I think it's going to be a little harder for him to have that much effectiveness. I think we saw some of that this year and, and I don't know why I would expect it to be better this year. I mean, the only reason I might be able to talk myself into it is longer break yeah. um, might, might be helpful. Um, but the mileage, you know, for a big man, you know, it adds up and it is, even though he's still, you know, on the younger side of things, that's where I expect it to be. He's still good, like getting to the level of screen, recovering, but getting out there and needing to stay out there and help contain and move laterally uh, and kind of, and, and, and do those sorts of things. He just didn't have nearly the amount of force. Now it's hard for me because when I'm watching the play, I'm like, well, the Hawks' point of attack defenders were so bad, it it, it made it it makes <laughs> yeah. it hard for the big man. It puts way more work on the big man to come out there. So if the Hawks Definitely. get back to if the Bucks Hawks can add more point of attack defense, he might look better than he did last year. But I, I think he slipped some in that area. I don't think that should be a, a real surprise, and I and I would expect it. Um, it's most likely to, to kind of gradually kind of continue to kind of regress in that yeah. area as well. That's the area I, I worry. I think I worry about. No, that's that's perfectly reasonable. And look, I mean, as much as I think it's clear that we value what he brings, you know, the other side of my brain, the team building, roster building, salary cap side, like, I mean, he's he's making more money each season in the next three years. It is certainly plausible that he is not worth, quote unquote, the number of I think it's almost 24 million um, and 24, 25, like he'll be 30 and like, maybe he's not that guy anymore. And that's, that's conceivable. So like that is part of the calculus as well, which I think we need to acknowledge as much as the Hawks are definitely in kind of a win now mode by all accounts from ownership on down. Um, there is a consideration, especially when you factor in the luxury tax money that they might be spending all that stuff uh, and the investment in a Kongu, just the reality of that is that, as we said on that, on that podcast, you don't usually draft a guy number six to be a backup for three or four seasons. It's just not what you do generally. So it's right. an interesting offseason across the board for a lot of different guys, but that decision one way or the other is going to happen in the next, I don't know, 13 months. I mean, at, at the absolute latest, they can't go into year four of a Kongu with them on the roster again. I don't, I don't think <laughs> maybe I'm wrong, but um, maybe they do it again this year. Maybe they, maybe they run it back, but um, it doesn't. It doesn't stun me that they have all of these. I'm not even going to call them rumors. These rumblings about Aiton and Gobert. Like, I'm not, that's not because they have a bad center situation. If anything, the way that you and I talk about it, they are really good at center because they are. But right. something's got to give there at some point, and I, I'm not sure what that's going to be. We talked about it on, on that show as well. But like, whether they 
move on from Capella or maybe just capitalize on the Kong will move him. I, I just I, I do not think it's likely at all that both of those guys are on the team in 23-24. We'll see on this year. I mean, I, I would believe anything, to be honest. Maybe they just try to tweak the perimeter stuff and kind of keep those guys in place. Uh, if they move on from Clint, that, won't, that will not stun me at all. And I think um, it will depend on their return. I mean, as much as you and I value him as clear by this podcast, um, there are ways where it would make sense to move on. I, I will say that just as a team building viewpoint, um, they probably get worse in some ways. Like that, that's the thing. I have a hard time believing short of an upgrade to Rudy or something like that, which I'm not even a huge fan of necessarily. But if, if you trade Clint for, uh, let's say, an, an appropriately valuable wing player and just kind of roll with a Kongwu plus a traditional plug and play backup center, are you better next year? It depends. Because, I mean, as, as, we, as mentioned, they've built so much around Clint. And I'm, we're both very high on Onyeka, but the odds that a Kongwu next season, I want to say again, only next season at age 21, 22 is as good as Clint has been the last two years is very low. It's very yeah. low. It's possible, but it's not. I mean, and I, again, that's not, that should not be perceived as anything about a Kongwu. We still like a Kongwu quite a bit, but that'll be him in, at age 21, 22 in year three. He probably isn't going to be as good as Capella has been the last two years. I'm sorry. Yeah. He's not. So that, that's yeah. part of the calculus too. For sure. And I, I want to, I'm going to give a, and this is going to seem, uh, uh, no, I, I want to give a shout out to my good, our good friend Josh Lane, uh, and and this this I'm going back Hi, to the Wayback Machine, but I, 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 Brad, you know I have a weird quirky memory, but I remember <laughs> on Cawcast, Josh's illustrious podcast yes. he had for a while, when Dennis was coming up, and Dennis oh, wow. was kind of it was kind of becoming obvious that Dennis couldn't be a backup much longer to to kind of give Dennis to, his opportunity to, to Jeff. Is, Yes, to Jeff T. To Jeff. And I remember, you know, I, I remember that I was on a number of podcasts, but this was not one I was on, but I don't remember who Josh was talking to, but they said, what about trading Jeff and making Dennis the starter? And Josh's response was this exactly. It is so strange. I remember it word for word. He said, <laughs> that's not going to make them better. And he yeah. was right. Right. Yeah. I mean, and I feel like that applies right now. To Capella and in a Kongu. Now, there we put you and I talked about a Kongu needs more minutes. He needs more reps. He needs yeah, that. He's got to play more the season. Yep. And in my mind, the 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 only way that it makes sense in in my mind for the Hawks to say we're going to go a different direction at center is, and this is all, this is the only way I see it right now is, if they say to themselves, okay, we're going to start a Kongu at five and JC at four, but we're going to manage rotations as JC says spends like half his time on the court at center and that JT kind of becomes a, a, a bit of a kind of a backup center. Now you have to have a third guy in there, yeah, but if they want to shift the more, if they want to shift the playing smaller lineups and then split uh, JC's time across the four and the five and have him playing the five when the Congo is off more and then having a third guy take 12 minutes or whatever that is, that is a, a roster direction and a rotation construction direction that takes them, I think, clearly away from Clint. It, and, and I think there would be a trade market for Clint. So oh, yeah. I don't, with Nate's the coach, I don't really see them doing that. Nate's pretty traditional in all of the things that he, he kind of does. As a, you know, but that that's one avenue that a team and a vacuum could take. And I think it's less likely with, with Nate as the coach. But I mean, if you kind of look around, you ask yourself, Dallas would be better with Clint. Like Luca would be better off with with Clint, you know, and just kind of looking around 
uh, Chris Paul would probably appreciate Clint and, and kind of some of the nuance he brings. No, we can there go there, on are, and on there on. are plenty of teams that would like to have Clint Capella from Charlotte. You mentioned, you know, Charlotte and Dallas. Toronto, and, yeah, yeah, there are teams everywhere that would like they would, and in a similar way to what the Hawks got from Clint when they traded for him, and they right. and they traded him for him at a pretty interesting time when they, when they definitely wanted to ramp it up and get and be better right away, and he helped to provide that along with other yeah. guys. So and, and another really interesting one. Uh, this is the last one is like. The Pelicans are going to try to bring Zion back. Like Clint would save so much defensive workload from Zion, and the way that Valanciunas can't, right, and and the way that Jackson Hayes can't, et cetera, et cetera. And if I'm trying to, you know, protect a guy like Zion, I want a, a workhorse of a center that can handle all of the anchoring that you need. Um, and I know that, like, oh, Zion's going to be a five eventually. Whatever. He, he shouldn't be that his first <laughs> season back from all these injuries. And so, yeah. you know, and then pairing Clint with CJ and on and on, you know, and stuff. So there's absolutely market out for them if the Hawks decide that they want to take the roster in a direction that's different than what they've had the last two seasons, which we'll have to kind of just have to wait and see if that happens. But kind yeah. of going back to the beginning, they're in great shape if they decide keeping him is the right thing to do. They're in great shape of moving him to the thing to do. Um, it might not be quite as true a year from now or two years from now, you know, but right now I think they're in, in fantastic shape. If I had my way, they bring both back, but if they do something interesting to kind of, you know, be bold and try to kind of bring a different kind of makeup, then uh, it'll be, that'll be super interesting to follow and kind of see what happens. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think too, like I am not in the camp of they have to do something at center. I, I don't, I do not believe that. I know that's out there, and I, I I get the theory. Again, I just laid it out, but I get the theory behind that. But just kind of quietly, last year, Capella played about two and a half minutes less per game. And that was in part because they were trying to give Okongwu some minutes, and Okongwu earned some crunch time. I mean, we, we go over that, all that. He played some crunch times over Clint. Like, it's not a situation where he was passing him, but – they, you know, match. They played the matchups a few times with with the Conway versus Clint. Like that's possible. And if you bring him back for for another season, that's going to happen. Maybe even more. I mean, maybe you see a Conway play twenty two minutes a game versus nineteen or twenty. Like whatever it's going to be. Um, and we can save all that for later. I just think that uh, overall, before we get out of here, I, Clint is still really good. Uh, there, there's some interesting roster building considerations in the future, but I want to just make sure we get the point across. I, and I knew we would with the two of us talking about Clint Capella as people that value him and what he does, that he is really good still. I, I think it's, again, to say what I said at the very beginning of the podcast, he was uh, a step down overall from the previous year, but the previous year was like elite, basically. So you can still be a little bit worse and still be really good and that might even happen again like if, he, if he's five percent worse he's still a good starting center is he the same guy he was two years ago no but like there are degrees here and at some point yeah i mean you would hope that kongwu just like makes it undeniable and that you just have to play the guy uh and that's what you're hoping for he's going to be awesome as we uh i'm glad we did those th- these in this order so we could just point everybody back to the Econo episode where we talk about how awesome he's going to be because <laughs> we, we did say all that on this podcast yes. um Glenn, any final thoughts before we got here? Because I've kept you way too long, and I think you have to go to sleep just like I do. So, no, I, I think we hit on everything. I enjoy I enjoy watching him all the time, so I'd be happy to see him back. And, but I'm intrigued with they make a move. I'm intrigued to see what it is. So, uh, I think it's all, only going to be good Clint stuff. I think going forward, either way, hopefully, unless they screw up a trade, which I you know, I don't think they'll completely. <laughs> yeah, because the market will be too strong. If they make a change at center, uh, it will be it will definitely provide all kinds of fodder for us analysts, just like it did when they brought in. Clint the first time and it was like 
in the middle of an extended break and he was hurt and there was like literally six months of Ken Collins and Capella play together discussion. And it was fun. I mean, and honestly it worked, it it worked more, almost better than I thought it was going to work. So like, it's just a really interesting thing and we'll come back to it when we need to, but uh, hopefully that's a full breakdown of Flick Capella. If you have more questions, please send them to Glenn and only Glenn. Do not tag me about (laughs) anything. I'm just kidding. Uh, Glenn, I know if you're watching YouTube, you already see Glenn's handle on the screen. If you're listening for a while, but uh, this is like the 10th of these, I think that we've done together. So thank you for all this time, but please plug yourself before we get out of here. Yeah. Well, send us for Glenn for those listening. Um, Peace for Hoops, we're in draft, uh, covering the draft class, trying to hit on everyone that might be targeted around 16, and or you know, or if the Hawks move up a little, you know, and things like that. So check that out there. Um, but you know, putting out observations on on Twitter and then ATL29 podcast. Kevin and I are about a week, uh, one a week right now. We're slackers compared to Brad. Um, <laughs> that's that's you know, we're 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 both uh, uh, moving towards our our, our senior. Uh, Phase, so we're a little a little slower maybe in, in that way but um kevin kevin's already there who are we kidding kevin's already no there. i'm ahead i'm older than kevin uh, i know so. i know i just like to give <laughs> but, but i, like I mean I, also i mean kevin plays a ton of pickup basketball you know so I listen mean, I, I i can give kevin grief with the best of them kevin is in way better shape than i am not close <laughs> and i i'm like uh 15 years younger than kevin and he's in way better shape than i yeah. am so yeah yeah so anyway that, that's where you can find my stuff but you know um i i've i've thoroughly enjoyed this always uh love talking with you brad whether we're, we hit the record button or not so <laughs> appreciate you having me for all these and uh look forward to getting uh the last uh, several that we we have here I think we have two left after this, and one of them is Trey. And like, what are you going to say about Trey Young? He's really good. That's all I got to say about Trey. No, uh, thank you, Glenn, for joining me again. Yeah. I do sincerely appreciate it. Uh, as for everybody else, please subscribe to the podcast. The draft's coming, as Glenn mentioned before. There's lots of coverage coming uh, here and on Peachtree Hoops and other places. So check all that out as well. And we'll see you all next time.